Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the XXLA Architects Podcast, a show featuring Los Angeles' leading women in architecture. I'm your host, Audrey Sato. I want to thank loyal listeners for sticking around while I took a break from producing the show. I know it's been a while. It's Halloween, and we're getting very close to Election Day. I feel like my listeners don't need to hear this, but just in case, I'll say it anyway. Please vote. It really matters. I voted early, and through the magic of tracking, I even got confirmation that my vote will officially be counted. I'm really excited to restart the podcast with today's guest, Lee Spornstein, architect and partner at KFA Architecture. Lee is someone who I have a ton of respect for, and I feel lucky to call her a mentor and a friend. Lise graduated from North Carolina State University with a Bachelor of Environmental Design in Architecture and received her Master's of Architecture from SciArc. Lise joined KFA in 2001 and stepped into the role of partner in 2016. She gives back to her community in many ways. She's on the board of Step Up on Second and just became president of AWAF the Association for Women in Architecture Foundation. AWAF kickstarted this podcast through their Professional Development Fellowship, which is how I initially got to know Lise. You can support fellowship projects for mid-career professionals and scholarships for highly deserving young women through a tax-deductible donation to AWAF or participate in their virtual fundraising auction the first two weeks in December. I'll post a link in the show notes to awaplusd.org slash foundation. And by the way, if you want to apply for a scholarship or fellowship, keep a lookout around February for the call for applications. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lise. Something that resonated with me when I chose architecture is that we will basically spend our whole lives learning new things and our roles as we move through our careers change very drastically. Um, So I was wondering if you could tell me about your um, journey through architecture through the lens of the different roles and skill sets that you really developed throughout your career. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I kind of look at it as an arc in professional growth, but also personal growth. And it's kind of like from a me arc to a we arc. And I feel like that's been both professional and personal world for me. Um, You know, I've had incredible people in my life, mentors, role models, agitators, instigators, pushers, questioners, people who drive me nuts, but also people who listen to me and all of those people help shape and help me question who I am as I go forward. And um, I think in the beginning when I started, I'm very much an introvert and very much um, it was the me time in my life. And it's very, I don't want to say self-centered, but it's really focused on myself and my work and what I was doing. And, you know, I I was still always a team player, but, and I worked really hard to get things done, but it was really like my accomplishment and me it's very much me and um there are layers of insecurity in that and and um that's probably a recurring theme in my life uh and so as I grew 
in my professional world. Yeah, I started to become more responsible for things and, and kind of that first aha moment of learning to be responsible for my own work in a broader sense of um, nobody's going to check me or fix it for me later. It stops with me. That was an aha moment as I was learning how to coordinate, you know, duck shafts and all that kind of stuff. Oh, goodness, it's, it's me. Um, my supervisor at the time sort of, I'm going to say locked me in a room, but that sounds draconian. She, she uh, had me go into a room for a week. We got away from my desk, which was great. It was away from the phone. It was away from distractions and taught me how to really just focus and redline through a set because I was always fast and quick, but I wasn't accurate. And we sat in that room, laid out the drawings, and I learned how to actually read consultant drawings and question it. And it actually became less opaque to me because I was just reading through and I said, they said, okay, this is an intake. And I'm like, okay, that's an intake. I see where it's pointing to. And I, I basically read the book of their drawings and could see what they were doing and start to ask questions. And that was a big growth aha moment for me um, in starting to recognize the teamwork uh, that goes into a project. And then starting to realize that I was part of a bigger ecosystem within the firm, that it wasn't um, just what I did, but the, the time that I spent affected others. If I, if I spent a lot of time on something, it meant that I didn't have time to help somebody else out on something else. And that was a kind of, you know, iterative next layer of growth. And then um, learning marketing and talking, and you wouldn't know it now because I'm quite chatty, but I'm, I was petrified of talking. And whenever I have to give presentations to this day, talking in front of people, it's so difficult for me. Some, some can just write a couple of outline bullet point notes right before they give a presentation and they're just on and done. For me, I have to practice and think. And by practice, I mean like really practice the day before and give mock presentations in front of the cats and home and, you know, really kind of go through it. So it feels natural and I can reach for words and communicate concepts seemingly effortlessly and more natural, which puts people more at ease rather than me struggling during a presentation. And so um, a lot of it is to help build confidence in me, but it's also at the moment of building confidence within the people that you're presenting to and learning to do that was really really difficult and like I said, continues to be difficult for me. Um, I would say some of the next pieces are leadership. And I find there are lots of times in my life when somebody tells me something, one of those agitators, instigators, pushers, people in my life will tell me something. It's a, it's a truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there's truth in what they're saying, but I, I cannot see it at that moment. But it kind of goes into a vault and you chew on it for like a month, eight months, a year, some, some kind of rattle around for a little bit longer. <laughs> and then at one moment, it's like, oh, aha, I, <laughs> I see the big picture of that now. I didn't, like uh, one of my co-workers, my partner said, you're getting in your own way. I knew he was telling a truth, but I didn't understand what that truth was until years later where I realized, oh yeah, I see how I'm getting in my own way. Okay, I need to get out of my way. Um, and so one of those things is leadership. Wade just says, oh, you just need to lead. You just need to lead. And there was, you know, go, go, go. And I don't know what that means. What does that mean? I don't, 
don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, do we just like all get in a line and we're just like, duck, duck, goose? I don't know. What does that mean? You know, so, um, I, you know, it takes a long time to unpack <laughs> that word. And what, that, what does that mean? And I think I'm now I'm starting to like figure out like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I kind of think I know what that means in this case. And to lead now is not to really get out in front. But, I mean, although sometimes leadership by example is right, but to lead is to, to make things move forward. And I think that's like the biggest aha moment in my life now is like, we need to keep going forward, move forward. And, and, and leadership is recognizing when maybe a person on your team has reached their limit. They've done as much as they can. And through experience or maybe different skill sets, they're just not there yet on what has been asked. And, and leadership is saying, oh, I recognize that there's, there's no penalty for that, but I need to help move everybody forward. So how do, how do we navigate this? Um, and so that's, that's one thing I continue to learn. Then the next thing is in the me to we arc is really learning the we and that part of my role, especially as a partner now, is learning to hear input and through discussion, we set vision and goals and then helping the team get there in a way where they feel autonomy and are proud of their achievements and, um, you know, they, they need to see their roles and contributions to success and have room to make mistakes. That's one thing I learned from Barbara Wade is how to have room to make mistakes because in my personal growth it helped me get past that moment of paralyzing fear of having screwed something up and set that aside and and get in the mode of focusing on the problem solving in the now to move things forward so how to have room for mistakes i uh that's so interesting i (laughs) how do you do that I mean, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And these projects are so mm-hmm. complicated that we're working on. At the same time, we have so much uh, liability and responsibility and pressure on time and budget and all these things. So that's really hard. It is. I think um, part of it is trusting in the we that we will figure it out that it's not you. I mean, everybody has to take responsibility for their own actions. So it's, it's there is that. But um, if we are afraid to go out on a limb and strive and reach, then we won't ever do any of those things. We will stay in our comfort zones. And so um, in that place where we are striving and reaching, we don't have a clue (laughs) as to what the roadmap is. (laughs) And we're kind of figuring it out. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to turn down wrong streets. It's going to be wrong. And if we want our people in our office to grow, um, if I want to grow, one of the things I had to learn was I had to be able to not forgive myself because that sounds like really meta and therapy, but more that we have to just suck it up. We're going to move forward. We got, okay, mistakes were made, and, but we, we still have an end goal to reach and we can't lose sight of that own goal by self-focusing on the self-me part of, oh my gosh, I've messed up, me, 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 me. Get out of that. It's a we thing. How do we get out of this and move forward? 
that is imperative to have a healthy organization. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you bring up a good point because when I make a mistake, I really beat myself up for it. But the kinds of team members that I value working with are the ones that will recognize a mistake as soon as possible so that we can fix it as soon as possible. Yeah. Taking responsibility for it, but ultimately just moving forward and not um, trying to point a finger necessarily, but just trying to move forward. I mean, because that's the most important thing, right? Right, right. And um, I can't imagine, you know, I know you're a sole practitioner and part of what I'm learning as a partner is the buck stops with me, you know, now I'm the final decision maker, but in your role, that's, that's you from day one. And (laughs) that's actually a very vulnerable place to be. Um, You know, I applaud you because I know you reach out and you find your community in much more creative ways. You know, I sort of have that built in with an office and I have my partners for you. It's probably a wholly different world, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I miss having a team to lean on, but I think that having people to rely on or talk things through with is really valuable. Like, uh, well, you know, I recently was talking with you about um, something that came up on a project of mine and I was really stressed out. And I think just you had said to me like, oh, it's going to be okay or you're okay. And I just burst out of tears because um, I had felt so alone in that. And then when you, you know, you had given me advice and then you said, oh, it's going to be okay. And I just felt this like huge wave of relief. Like I just needed to hear that from someone. Uh-huh. And it couldn't be myself telling me that because I wouldn't have believed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you're making me cry right now because I remember that day. Um, but no, because you're awesome, so <laughs> you're gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like recently, I made a mistake on a project where I misinterpreted a code. And we had to move a wall a foot, basically. And my, well, there were a few solutions to it, but what we ended up doing was moving a wall a foot. But um, it was really surprising the amount of understanding uh-huh. and grace that they said, well, actually, if we do this and that and that, it's actually better. Yeah. So let's just do that. <laughs> Lemonade <laughs> out of lemons. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they were just like, you, you know, we're all doing our best. Yeah. So it's okay, you know, let's move forward. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like these people are so nice. So I don't know. I think that that sort of grace that you're talking about, like making room for mistakes within the firm, it also helps to work with people, uh, clients and the whole team in a way that you're working with people who are understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing I'm learning to do is really just face those difficult decisions, conversations. Um, because I know I have to take responsibility for everything that happens in our office. You know, I, I'm actually taking responsibility for other people's goofs in our office. And having to be the person who contacts somebody and said, yeah, we need to swing that door in instead of out. Are you okay with that? Um, it, it's difficult because it kind of goes against my inner child <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, I want to be perfect. But, you know, again, facing up and just saying, I have to do it. That's my role. And what I have been surprised about is the same thing that you're talking about, is that there's so many really 
wonderful people with great attitudes out there. It's the problem solving attitude. It's like, how do we move forward? And if it's punitive and punishing and, you know, judging and that shuts people down and people won't problem solve in that space, they will protect themselves in that space. If we're more open, all of us are more open to um, imperfections in each other, then I think we can actually move better faster because people will spend more energy figuring out the issue at hand rather than trying to protect themselves. Right. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about just business in general and, you know, trying to make something happen and trying to create buildings in accepting that responsibility. We're always sort of optimistic in stepping forward and saying, yes, I want to like grow this business. I want to do these things. And we forget that we also have to accept the downsides with that because nothing's ever perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's scary to do that, but it's um, part of growth and everything. I mean, that's that space where people who are striving need to have room to make mistakes. Yeah. Well, um, I know that you've told me before you didn't actually envision becoming a partner mm-hmm. for yourself as part of your career. Can you talk about why you didn't want that and what changed your mind? Um, I don't know if it's that I didn't want it. It's just that it's even actually more fundamental than that. It's, I didn't, it didn't occur to me. It, it, it actually was just, you know, again, my insecurities and all those, you know, no voices in my head, um, you know, not worthy. Why would they choose me? It was, you know, I don't have anything to contribute. I think I have a lot of those voices in my head <laughs> that I'm an imposter, but I was asked to be a partner. And I think if I had, if that had been flipped and I had to propose to be a partner, I'm not sure I would be a partner because of that running narrative um, in my head. And so it was interesting to me to think about it that way, because I don't know if I would have been the entrepreneurial leap forward, I'm going to do this. But when asked, I had no hesitation in saying yes, even though I was petrified. And, you know, even though I have all of those little voices, there is that little piece of DNA, that little gene in me that kind of just like closes my eyes and I'm like, okay, jump. And I think it's because we have that safe space in our office that I was able to just say, fine, I'm going to jump. I'm doing this. Let's do it. Uh, I'm doing it. I have no (laughs) idea where I'm going, but yep, let's do it. And I've been in this role now, I think it's for been five years. And it's interesting. I think women don't see themselves in that role so much. And even though I had a role model in the office who was and is an incredibly powerful representative of a female partner in an office. It's really weird to think back that I just, it just never occurred to me. Yeah. Or to think that you need to be more perfect or more something in order to get to that. Whereas you were actually ready. Yeah. Half ready. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really just being able to be aware of how to, that there's growth to happen. I think if I had come in going, oh, I'm a partner and people must do my bidding, that that's just, that's not it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's personal relationships and roles 
inside and outside the office. I read something that quote, everything you need, you learned in kindergarten. And it kind of is, it's like learning how to share and (laughs) and use your words. And, you you know, all of those things are so important. And, um, and the partner role feels very much like, you know, I'm looking out for the health of everyone in the firm. And I, cared before but now I feel the responsibility weighing so much more on the people in our office and how to keep our office as healthy as we can in every way that that healthy is defined yeah was there anything about your role as a partner that surprised you you know from what your perception of what that would be to what it actually is um a little bit. I'm, I, I had hints of it seeing Barbara and Wade, but um, realizing I don't do a lot of architecture anymore. You know, I, it's a management role. And um, I love architecture, but learning to be able to step away from the things that I love not only gives me the room to do the things I need to do, i.e. manage a firm, but also to give other people a chance to step into new shoes for them too. And, you know, there's financial pieces too, which I that actually doesn't surprise me. I knew there'd be financial complexity um, to things, but mm-hmm. I, I think the thing that is most surprising is the sort of big picture eye you have to keep on so many things that when I have a meeting with somebody to talk about, an issue they wanted to bring up or like an interpersonal kind of thing that actually is equally important to a project related issue, you know, and I I can't swap one without the other. There's equal gravity in both and um, that you have to make time for non-project based management because that's the glue, you know, that's what keeps us running if those are smooth, then projects are smooth. But if those are coming up and there's communication not happening, then our projects are not going to be healthy either. Right. I think that talks a lot about um, how I perceive KFA, which is that your firm is very focused on culture. Um, you know, having talked with Barbara, I think that started with Barbara and Wade making a real effort to make sure that they were um, building up a, an office with a certain type of culture made up of people that were, you know, equally men and women for a very long time now. Can you talk more about, because there's been just, you know, such a real recognition more than before that our industry is not doing okay in terms of diversity, inclusion, equity, and like um, that we need to change. I would imagine that your firm has actually been talking about that and acting like that for a while, but that takes work. Um, So could you talk about, you know, what does that mean? What does diversity, inclusivity, and, and being equitable mean to your company? And what have you been doing to actively make sure that you're providing that as best as you can. So I'm going to start with awareness and advocacy, but I think you said it right. This is something 
And I'm very fortunate to have inherited from Barbara and Wade a firm that has always had a sense of what's right. And it's part of our culture. And, you know, I'm the first to admit we don't always get it right, um, but we're trying. And I think it's that awareness that's really important. And uh, we participated in the AWA plus D5050 initiative. And we recently signed the NOMA DEI challenge. And doing those things just keeps us committed and aware. It's super easy to fall into a norm. Um, and, and staying aware and stopping to look at things through a different lens helps. Like, for instance, having women and minorities in leadership positions brings a different voice to the table. I bring a different voice to the table as a partner. Um, and there are times when in my role as a partner, I see compensation asks or stepping up for responsibility that are not not always balanced. And I can try to course correct, um, keeping doors open. I think I think we just need to keep opening doors so that we can continue to expand opportunities. I think people will walk through those doors if they're open. I think that's really important. And um, one other thing I kind of want to talk about is I don't feel that a top-down approach is necessarily always right. Um, Certainly, Barbara and Wade led by strong example of what it means to be at KFA. And we're trying to pick up that torch. Uh, But I think I've seen the most success and the most richness in discussion and thought when people within the office take up the leadership role. And, you know, as part of our culture, having people in our firm advocate for and participate in leadership of the discussion I find makes the conversation more real, more honest, and more true. And I feel kind of my role is making sure that there's space for those conversations and listening and dialogue and hoping yeah. that we get it right sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think like one of the things that I, I've been kind of wanting to reframe is that, you know, um, equity and inclusion is not something that people have to do, but it's something that benefits everyone. Mm -hmm. Like not, it doesn't just benefit women or minorities. It benefits everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, I've sat in on a few, we've had several discussion groups and part of the, um, I call it grassroots effort in our office is there's a group that started a reading club called Reading, Read and Roar, I think is what they call it. I, I know Roar is in it and I just love it because it has a name. And, and it's actually um, two of our newest and I'm hesitating, but probably youngest uh, women in our office are leading that and creating a book discussion group around articles. And, so, and that's amazing. I sat in on one of those and I've listened to a couple of the town hall type discussions that we've had a couple of evenings and a lot of the issues I, I'm completely unaware of. You know, I don't I don't recognize that these things happen. And I think that I've heard similar things when Wade has attended AWA events. You know, he kind of goes in like you know, a little grumpy and he's like, oh, this is, I had no idea you guys dealt with this stuff. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, we kind of do. <laughs> and so um, it's that awareness piece because when you have that awareness, you can then advocate. And so hearing about people's, histories too, which come up a lot in these discussions, is also amazing to me because it 
pulls me back in. It makes me recognize how strong some people in our office are, like some lot of the people in our office are, and how resourceful and full of initiative and just life people are. And and that, as a business owner, <laughs> makes me recognize that trait is not singular to a personal life. That is also part of their professional life. And and that's a skill set that is um, really important in our industry. And kind of seeing that come out in different ways is, is amazing. I think that's really cool too. It's really important, I'm sure, for them to see that you're showing up for that. Um, I have to say, I purposely don't show up sometimes. I show up sometimes because I do want to hear every time there's something eye-opening for me, I learn. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want to back off and back away so that they can have time to talk without a partner in the room. Yeah. You know, so I purposefully do not attend events sometimes just to make sure that there's space. Yeah. That's cool that you do that. Well, I'm sure they're like, oh my God, she's not here today. (laughs) Yeah, now we can really talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad Wade also had that experience too of being like, oh my gosh, you guys deal with that? <laughs> I know. And he, yeah, he, he's great. I mean, he, he, he gets it, yeah. you know? I think the biggest thing is they're open to hearing and listening. And I think that's important because, and, and it goes back to having that voice at the table you know, I'm not a parent, but my partner Jonathan is. And so often he'll bring that voice of a parent to a table and say, look, we got to think about this. And so I think it's just, again, all these different points of view and keeping us all in check. Mm-hmm. So what has been your proudest moment at KFA? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to say not proud, but joy. Okay. And it's going to be twofold, our people and our work. Uh And it kind of goes back to culture and grassroots stuff. I, I, um, I love it when I see people in our firm reach out to each other and support each other that in, in all ways and forms. And so um, we're on, I think we were talking right before we started about Slack. I'm part of all these team channels and I'll peak in there, especially during deadline time. And it's so joyful to see people supporting and reaching out to help each other. So you'll see like text streams, like I'm done with this sheet. Can I help anybody out? What do you need? You know, I've got this, you have this, I got that, you know, and it's just um, self-leadership, pride in their work and them all kind of coming together to support each other. Nobody it's like, you know, I'm done mine. I'll see you later. I'm going to go <laughs> catch a movie, you know? And, and, and that to me is joyful. And I think that extends to, uh, I'm going to go back to grassroots movements in cultural things outside the office. So before COVID, uh, we had all of these really cool groups in the office that self-formed. There's a group that cooked for each other like some one person would cook uh for lunch and bring it in for everybody in the group and and there's another group that would climb the culver steps in the baldwin hills and you know just and volunteering for habitat for you i mean just just doing things together that are like 
minded, but again, sort of supporting each other. Those are incredibly proud moments for me to see. I, I feel like if it's prescribed and or dictated, if you're told you must have a good culture and therefore you like each other, that doesn't work. But seeing it actually organically in action is amazing to me. And then on the professional side, seeing people proud of their work that they do. And we have Monday morning presentations and they'll talk about the projects they're working on. And that to me is also, it's wonderful to see. Those are my joy moments. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think when am I most proud and I'm most proud when I'm, when I see success in others, like I see all, all of that lovely community happening. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like, that's how you've explained what your job is basically is to make sure that everyone's succeeding. (laughs) Hope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is there a project that you're really proud of that's moving through the office right now? Um, I'm going to be like a parent. I can't choose just one. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm really proud of is um, sort of our commitment to design in a different, a little bit of a different way. And I call it, um, I personally call it social design, but that sounds like really, I don't know, Machiavellian in some way, but it's not. (laughs) And what I mean is like, so in our studio, we talk about what do you fall on your sword for? What design component idea in a project will you fall on your sword for? And we're lucky that we partner with a lot of incredibly smart, intelligent clients who know their people and their work. And I think it's really not just exciting to partner with them, but also to kind of listen and hear what's important to them and try to translate that into design, but with a social mind to it. So, you know, I think we're most successful if a person feels at home in their apartment, you know, that they have light and air and it works, you know, going back to the falling on a sword, I think if we changed a, a building from blue to green, that's fine. Go for it. Great. <laughs> but if we take away a porch that was there for seniors to feel comfortable on and it was a place for them to connect to the neighborhood, that's a sword that we would fall on. And so finding and defining those moments in the projects, uh, which we are getting better at, I would say we're getting more articulate at saying that that's actually really important to us, then that is most important. I mean, we'll fall on the sword for that. And that's that's where I'm most proud in the, and excited about the work that we're doing today is that we're looking for those moments and design moves in projects at micro and macro scale, at, at a small building to a full campus. How do we live? How does the building love the people that live there? That's such a cool phrase. What do you fall on your sword for? Yeah, <laughs> I get... People in my studio give me flack. They're like, that's so violent. And so somebody else said something like, what hill would you die on? And I was like, well, that's that's even more death. And death. <laughs> that sounds more like drawn out and painful. I know. <laughs> but it is it's kind of like huh? and we actually have had in our studio um falling on your sword what what would you fall on your sword for and so people have talked about their projects and said okay well in this project what I would fall on my sword for is dot 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 you know and and, and, it's, and it's and it's cool and fun to talk about it that way but it starts to really help synthesize for even the team and us saying okay so what is important being able to have a safe laundry room where 
parents can see their kids while they're doing their laundry and not feel vulnerable or anything. I mean, that's an important moment. And and yeah, we will we will fall on our sword for that. We will not have that laundry room be dark and scary in a corner somewhere. It has to be front and center. You know, mm-hmm. it's stupid little stuff like that, but it's it's really important. It makes a project a home. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think, you know, one of the strengths I see in you as a leader is that you are just very clear. Like um, you are always able to distill or ask someone, well, what's the big idea? Um, What's the story you're telling? You know, that's so important. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I think there are people in my life who would laugh if they heard somebody say that I was a clear (laughs) speaking person. (laughs) Because my journey to get to that is often circuitous. And I, I, it's funny, because we talk about linear, linear thinkers, and then sort of like, you wander around, and I'm a wander arounder. (laughs) But then at the last moment, I'm like, okay, we're going to point, you know, like, I can get there. Um, I feel like a lot of it is editing. Like I like to see everything out, like just spit it all out, you know, throw the spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. And um, so we kind of put it all out there. And the editing moment is saying, what is important? What's important for this project? What's important? What's important? And kind of distilling down, 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 down until you can have that really clear, what's our big idea? On campuses, it's often not the building that's most important. It's the space in between. And even in smaller buildings, it's the space in between. How do we craft the empty spaces? The, the void space is just as important as how we create the positive space, you know? And so really uh, thinking about what those spaces contribute to the experience, to the livelihood, to the comfort and home, you know, piece, that's that's it. That's the seed. <laughs> it needs to happen or we've not done our job. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so important because like you've kind of answered one of the questions that I came up with before, which was how do you keep those big ideas? How do you keep the what's important about a project when it's so difficult to build something, just budgets, codes, you know, all of these different constraints that are put on a project like I get frustrated with in addition to a single family home like I can't even imagine what that process is like for a campus or for an affordable housing project that has crazy you know complex funding and codes and stuff for us the important part is we're part of really really strong team and so I mean, we work with incredible clients who know that and who know how to um, do outreach, community outreach, and handle nimbyism, which is hugely prevalent in all forms of housing these days, which is so weird. We need housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and our clients are incredibly amazing at navigating, listening, and having those conversations. And I think we see the most successful projects are projects where the clients continue to educate, inform, listen, hear, re- respond. You know, th- that outreach is so important. And our role in that is to support them in that and, and help be um, good listeners and help to hear what the community is talking about and what the owner also needs. You know, we've got to do a lot of balancing and because ultimately we need to reflect their mission and 
their vision for the project. So I'm going to say, I'm cliche again, it takes a village on that because those, those projects that we do, there are hundreds of people on the team. When we go to the grand openings for a lot of these projects, you see everybody who had contributed from the broker to the um, real estate transaction, the funding application um, people who know how to do all of that. And then, the, of course, the client side and the contractors, you know, everybody is equally proud of the work that they've done in bringing this project to life. And that's what I'm always really excited by is being part of that big team because it's often so much beyond than just the owner, client, and contractor, like our little contract says. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's huge. And you see, even I've had plan checkers and city planners come down to projects and they are proud of the work that they've done in getting the projects completed too. And I, you know, that's that sort of we moment. Oh, wow. I, I liked my part, but you're right. You guys did a ton too. Yeah. It's a village. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I never thought about that a plan checker or a planner would feel like they were a part of that team. But obviously with complex entitlements, they really would feel like they were working for getting something built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I I love that. One of my favorite things was on the very first project that I had built, I was walking with the contractor and we're in the parking garage of all things. And we were underground, like two stories and it's like dark, there's no light yet. The generator is still going. And we're walking through and I'm looking through, like nodding, like, yeah, I put that column there. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And he's sitting there with the same cocky nod going, yeah, I poured the concrete. And we're both like, yeah. (laughs) And it was great because it was just a sort of partnership moment that was really, you know, it doesn't always happen on projects. You hope that it happens, but when it does, you feel it and you immediately know that it's happening. And you can, again, like get down your guard and really work on making the project the best it can be. Mm -hmm. Are there ever partnerships that you will not? take or projects that you will not take because of, you know, impact to a community or whatever it might be? Um, uh, yeah, sure. I think the biggest piece of that, and I'm going to go, it's a little Pollyanna <laughs> kumbaya, um, but I think it's if the client doesn't like the project that they're doing, then you can sense that. we have. I, I've actually been on a couple of just meet and greets where you know, we we're meeting people and seeing what they thought of their project and their project was, it was boiling down to numbers and numbers are critical. I'm not, I'm nothing against numbers, <laughs> but you could tell that they didn't care. Mm. And I think that ultimately clients, market rate, affordable, all, all clients who care, those are the people we want to be partnered with. So, um, you know, impact to neighborhood. Yes, there are projects that we've worked on that have impacts to neighborhoods, um, but I don't think there's ever been maliciousness that has been part of the equation. And and it goes back to a client that really cares about their project. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So on the theme of caring, um, you just stepped into your role as president of AWA, uh, <laughs> the for Women in Architecture Foundation. Um, the sister organization to AWA plus D. 
and primarily uh, raises money for scholarships and the fellowship that, um, you know, kickstarted this podcast and <laughs> is the reason why I know you. <laughs> more, than, more than just like, oh, you know, I know of Lise Bornstein, but like, <laughs> but like, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like getting to know you was probably the best thing that came out of this whole experience <laughs> oh my gosh you're gonna make me cry again because I, I back at you back at you I'm always so impressed you're just so strong and awesome and then you did this in your spare time it's <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh ah dude Oh my God. Okay, so Lise, uh, there's no video. Lisa's actually. Crying. There's no video. I am. <laughs> okay. Suck it up, Bornstein. Okay, done. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm not just, I'm not just saying that. Like, I think from the very first time, so when I had to give a presentation about the podcast, from that very first time of me presenting my draft to you. Uh-huh. And getting your feedback on, okay, you don't need this part. This is the meat of it. Like, what story are you trying to tell? Like, that whole experience to me was like, oh, this is a woman who's really good at giving presentations <laughs> and made my presentation so much better with like half an hour of advice. Like, I remember just being like, wow, like, I can't believe that I have this person as a resource available to me because I was coming to this experience from like often working on my own and having to figure things out. I don't know. Somehow, like I just felt like you were part of this team <laughs> <laughs> and I, and honestly, I hadn't felt that in a very long time. So I was like, Oh my, Oh my gosh. Like I can't believe that, you know, along with this funding and all the support and connecting me with people to interview, I'm getting now this teammate. <laughs> <laughs> What you can't see is that I'm fire engine red right now, blessings. <laughs> I'm glad I could be part of the community. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like I don't, I actually kind of don't even know what to say, honestly. <laughs> At that point, we didn't really even know each other very well, but I just felt like your advice and your critiques were really clear while being gentle and supportive, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a rare combination and something that I... I'm trying to strive to, as I, you know, guide employees or uh, people I'm working with mm -hmm. is like how to be direct because I, I struggle a lot with how to be direct uh -huh. with what I want um, and what I expect from people and giving correction and um, trying to do it in a way that feels comfortable for me, but is is still going to be very clear. <laughs> so I right, think right. that I, that's something I admire a lot about you because I know I still struggle with that. So I struggle with that too. A clean talk. It's so hard. But then I've read articles and I start trying to think about it from the other side saying, because I've been on the other side. I've been on the side where somebody, I know I'm doing something wrong and somebody's not telling me that I'm doing it wrong. So how do I fix it if I don't know I'm doing it wrong? And I've been on that side before and it's frustrating because very rarely is somebody up there just completely oblivious that they're not doing something right. And so, but I will be a better person if I know what I'm doing wrong and I'm able to fix it. Or at least 
internalize it. I mean, some of growth is saying, I hear that you think that's wrong, but maybe I don't agree with that. But there's also that piece too. That clarity is important because it kind of goes to frustration and stress. We, We live in that all the time and it's even worse now with the pandemic and all of the other heavy stuff that we're dealing with. Stress brings out that peace in people. It's it's in our makeup to retreat into ourselves and snap at others when we're stressed or scared. And the hardest thing to do is to pause and get out of that and get our feet back on the ground and to make sure we're not communicating those frustration, fears, anxiety, blame, all of that, but rather to reach out and support one another and to find ways to think forward to solve problems. One of the things that I'm struggling with in making sure in our office is we're disconnected now. We're, we're, we're trying to stay communicating as best as we can, but we are all in our individual homes right now and conversations are happening on, you know, electron channels, not out in an open office. And so how can we keep a bigger eye on just the sort of feel of the office in terms of stress. And when we see or recognize that things are getting stressful, um, how do we turn it into those conversations that I was talking about earlier on the Slack channels where people are like, how can I help you? Where are we going? You know, because that keeps us moving forward. For sure. Well, it's really cool thinking about the role of a partner as someone who is focused on relationships because that makes it sound less daunting in a way. (laughs) I learned that from Wade and Barbara. I mean, he's said that for years and it's one of those things that, again, I hear that takes forever to sink in and, oh, that's what they mean by that. Okay. I get it. When you have a relationship with your client in much the way that we have relationships on our teams in the office, it's easier to have a hard conversation when you need to. And, you know, for people in the office too, it's easier if we're used to having studio conversations where you can be silly or we play games sometimes, full disclosure. And (laughs) um, we do improv and everything, but having those help to break down barriers makes it more comfortable to communicate with people. And then when teams are working together, it's easier for them to ask a dumb question. I don't feel like it's bad. So thinking about my relationships with clients in the same way and saying, I need to have conversations with my clients because again, it's that insecurity thing. Oh, they don't want to hear from me. They don't want to talk, you know, like like that's what's rolling through my head. Not that I don't want to talk to them. It's, they probably don't want to hear from me. Um, But it's not, I mean, everybody's a person and everybody, you know, it kind of breaks down the, the unknown more. You've been such a wonderful guest to share all your time and stories with me. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Lise. Thank you, Audrey. (laughs) (laughs) That's our show. Thanks for listening. As I think you've heard, Lise is an incredibly insightful and selfless leader. I can't say enough about how much I've appreciated her encouragement and support and the sisterhood I've found through both AWA plus D and AWAF. If you want to find out more about Lease, KFA Architecture, or AWAF, I will post links in the show notes. To find out more about this podcast, you can find me at xx-la.com or at xxlapodcast on social media. I'd love to hear from you. 
Be well, stay safe, and go out and vote.